Welcome to the Water Pain Podcast. I'm Glyn Williams. And I'm Conrad Jacobs. So, Conrad, here we are, um, still in Oxford. We continue our interview with Julia Smith and Anne-Marie Van Ness, our, well, your physiotherapy and occupational therapy colleagues from the pain centre in Oxford or paediatric pain centre in Oxford. In the first part, we got to know them both a little bit, but we also found out a bit about their roles, um, how they are similar to each other, how they're different from each other, how they integrate within the wider multidisciplinary team. But also we talked about how their roles maybe in paediatric chronic pain are slightly different from the roles that they might have traditionally had as an occupational therapist or as a or as a physical therapist and the ethos of how they do things. We've now come to part two and part two will be diving a little bit more into the specifics of their role. But first we'll start off talking about the evidence base for physiotherapy but also the evidence base for occupational therapy. We'll talk quite a bit about pacing. We'll talk about when to stop treatment. And we're talking about dealing with complex patients as well. Just briefly about something completely different, Glenn. I thought that Anne-Marie's description of the way she was nearly thrown out of the cinema was quite hilarious, actually. And having got to know her a little bit over the last few years, I'm, I'm actually not that surprised. Have you seen The Minions? I have, yes. I, I must admit, I don't remember laughing that much, but... Uh... It does remind me of uh, when I was young, actually, we used to have a cinema in my hometown and the guy who ran it was not the friendliest person you've ever met in your life. And he really didn't like um, young people making any noise during a film. And every film I went to see, he stopped the film and would threaten to throw us out if we didn't if we didn't make less noise. So at least Dan Marie kept there for the whole time. That's a good story, actually. Um, it sounds like there are some pretty miserable cinema managers out there, unfortunately. Hopefully not a representative sample. Can you think of which film did you laugh at so loudly that you could have been thrown out of the cinema? You've really put me on the spot here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm obviously a miserable git. I don't laugh very much at films. I like subtle comedy. So if you ask me, I'd for me, things like The Royal Family and uh, those comedies that sort of build slowly without uh so gavin and stacy makes me laugh you know okay yeah yeah that's very good clearly you're a bit more subtle than i am glenn in the past i used to like films like wayne's world or naked gun and things like that and these days i quite like comedians who do have a bit of an edge like frankie boyle anyway so shall we start yes let's go back in So, Julia, if we move on a little bit, I'd yeah. like to ask you, is there evidence out there for the usefulness of physical therapy and pain management? I think there's very little sort of documented evidence of the benefit of physiotherapy for managing children with chronic pain. We know there's lots of evidence around pain management programmes, but to pull out specifically the benefit of just physiotherapy for managing chronic pain. Clinically, we, we see lots of, we've got lots of clinical evidence. We've got you know, what we see in our practice. But from a research point of view, I think it's really difficult to pick out just physio alone because if it was just physio alone, they'd be in a, not necessarily in a chronic pain setting. But anecdotally, we would all say that it works very well. Yeah, I and mean, it... when we look at our, from our own service, when we look at our outcome measures, so when um, we see people in clinic or when we see people at the beginning of a rehabilitation programme, we look at sit to stand, we look at a six minute walk test, we look at step ups in one minute. And at the beginning and the end of the programme, we take those measurements and inevitably 99% of patients have an increase in their 
ability to sit, sit, stand, walk faster, and they do more um, step ups. So we can see that when they've had that intense intervention, there's improvements. Is that just physio alone? We're part of a team. We've just talked about being an interdisciplinary team. So I think it'd be hard to say physio alone. And is that progress maintained? So when we have brought them back for three months and six month reviews, there's still been an increase from day one on their outcome measures for the majority of patients. There are a few people that have had pain flares that they've not managed. And Anne-Marie, same thing, facial therapy? Just like Julia, really, sort of anecdotally and through our own experience, we can say that being an OT, being part of the therapy team here, we have really good outcomes. And just like Julia does outcome research, which are quite physio based, when we start a, a very intensive uh, therapy intervention, we, we take the child's goals and we get them to subjectively score how well they think they can achieve that goal to the standard they want to achieve it. In the first instance, we, we do that at the end of the programme and then we review that in uh, three months and six months. And very similarly, the those goals tend to be the most common ones are around uh, wanting to be in school more, wanting to go out with friends more, possibly starting some sort of hobby, wanting to understand their pain more, not being so scared. Sleep is often quite a big one. So there's quite a lot of traditional OT things in there because they're functional, they're fun- you know, daily living skills. But again, the evidence for OT specifically in chronic pain is very, very little evidence. I mean, there's, a, there's a systematic review which came out at the beginning of this year and it looked at 23 papers but only four of them were actually specifically OT as opposed to interventions which could be carried out by more likely a, a psychologist because they tend to be mindfulness-based things. I agree. I mean, I think it's one of the hardest things to pick out when you're talking yeah. about pain management to try and individualise each yeah. separate thing to say which one works and which one doesn't. Is, yeah, and uh, I, I think what we also find is if, you know, we're quite a small team and we've worked together for a, for a long time and sometimes when we're working, if one of us is away on holiday or something, we say, oh, which sensor is here because they know they've got the missing elements. So somehow if if the team isn't complete, the, the triangle's lopsided in a way. I hope that's true for all three professions, <laughs> not just in my opinion. <laughs> well, no, I think I think it's right. I mean, I do think yeah. pain management is slightly an alchemy yeah. of what's going on. And it's also yeah. why, you know, sometimes a patient at a different phase in their life is able to react better or, yeah. or differently or between services, because we all very much deliver a very similar thing, but yet sometimes the alchemy works for one patient in one service. Absolutely. And that doesn't necessarily work yeah. in another. One of the more contentious things that we talk about, we talk about it a lot, we throw the word pacing out. So, <laughs> I mean, get Julia, I'll come to you first. What, what is pacing? When we slowly, gradually build up what somebody is doing, I think we try not to use the word pacing too much, do we? And we just talk about slowly building up what they're doing, because some of our patients have heard the word pacing so many times it becomes a banned word on their banned word list. But really, it's just explaining to people. I use a really nice analogy about a marathon running. So you wouldn't wake up in the morning and think, well, I'm going to go run a marathon today. You have a training programme. And I think getting back to activities is a bit like a training programme. They've got their end goal, but there's lots of steps to get to that end goal. And I think sometimes when you put it like that to people, they think, oh, yeah, OK, I wouldn't just go out and run a marathon. There are very few people that can wake up in the morning with no training and run 26 point, what is it, five miles? You and I are very similar, obviously. <laughs> I use almost exactly the same analogy, but I, slightly shorter. I say 10 miles. But <laughs> I get, is really sporting. <laughs> well, I get them to look at me as an old man and say, could I run 10 miles? How do I get to run 10 miles? And why does it work, do you think? Well, again, first of all, you don't use the word pacing because you might as mm. well have slapped them with a fish. You're that popular. 
So we talk about working out what you'd like to be able to do and making it into just the right amount that you can do it and you can do it again the next day and you can do it again the next day. Is that the crucial bit, building. that you do it at a level that they can do again the next day and the next yeah, day? Yeah, and, and so, so for example, sometimes we'll say, well, I can think of a really nice example of a, a child who was unable to get out of bed because of headaches and they wanted, they wanted to be able to go outside. They used to play a lot of rugby and in their minds, they wanted to play rugby again. But even getting out of his getting out of the bed was too much. So it's, it was, so we started off by just thinking about: Can you lift your head from the pillow? And can you do that? Yes, I can do that. Well, can you lift your head up, your head off the pillow and bring your shoulders off the pillow? Doing my shoulders as well is is too much. Okay, so let's just start with lifting your head off the pillow. But even when you have pain, we know that lifting your head off the pillow is not doing you any harm. So if your body gives you pain, it's trying to stop you, even though you're not going to do anything dangerous to yourself. So you're going to make this commitment that you're going to lift your pillow, your head off the pillow for two seconds every day. And then we're going to start building up to maybe three seconds, maybe four seconds. So you make it really achievable, but you make it consistent. Otherwise, you end up with someone trying to do, do something and think, oh, I'll do more, I'll do more, I'll do more, I'll do more. And you end up with the, you know, the typical boom and bust. And that's just not useful because then you, the protective mechanism of your body saying stop giving you pain will increase and it'll take the two seconds down to one second. And two seconds is an achievement if it's hard. So, you know, so we might start somewhere just like that and keep building and then follow that progress and say, well, you know, one time you could do two seconds, now you could do 10 seconds. It could be, you know, so it's thinking about that progress and, and doing it when it's hard, doing it when you've got pain is the essence really is that because we know that it's safe. We know you'll be fine. But a lot of children really want to do the things that other children are doing. They want yeah. to be with their friends. They want yeah. to go to that concert. They want to, they say, kind of, listen, I will go shopping. Yeah. You know, do you Harry know where you can go with your pacing? Do you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will do it. Well, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Oh, you've got to be real. I mean, if I'm a teenager and I can't get out of bed, but I really want to go and see Harry Styles, because quite frankly, who doesn't? You know, you would say, well, you're allowed. <laughs> There's a couple of hours going up there. So, you know, you might say, well, no. So is it worth it? So you know that you, you can go to the concert, have a brilliant time, be a teenager for the night, have a great time. And it might mean that you've boomed and busted. But we also, I'm not worried about that. As your therapist, I'm not worried about you going and doing because I know actually your body's safe. So you might experience more pain, but that doesn't mean your body isn't safe. And so if you are prepared to take that on, that's absolutely fine. But don't do it every day. Do it you know, on the odd occasion. So it's about it's about making it. Teenagers are teenagers. They want to be able to do things. So you've, you've got to find that balance. Or you might say, like, if it's going shopping once, I want to go shopping with my friends on a Saturday. It's thinking about, OK, so how much of that is possible for you to do now without it being, you know, making things really difficult? So you might say, well, let's have that as your end goal and then break it down so you can do it for a short amount of time of, and for each person, that might be different. So it might be saying we might need to make some compromises in the short term to get to our end goal. But if they refuse? Well, then that's their choice. I'm not going to be wandering around Westgate with a stopwatch going, you know, quite frankly, young lady, what you're doing in Primark trying on shoes right now. You know, that's... <laughs> I think if they but don't it's... want to engage in the things that, like pacing, it's starting to change, they're probably not ready for pain management because part of managing their pain is trying the strategies we give them. And if they're not willing to try the strategies or work with those things then maybe it's that it's not quite the right time for them, their driver to yeah. stay where they are. Or maybe, maybe working out what that barrier is. Yeah. Because if they're saying, I can't be out with my friends, it's really awful. And then they do go out with their friends, but it's terrible. And then maybe it's working about, because they say, what's that about? You know, what, what's going on there? So 
you know, you're telling me that it's you want to do it, but also telling me that you can't do it. So we need to work out what that really means for you. And how do we do that? What do you think is worse, if you can tell, tell us, the boom or the bust? I think from the boom, they get quite a lot of self-fulfillment, maybe, that they've done something they really want to do. But I think that probably makes the bust bigger because mm. they can see what has been really great. And then that downward spiral of, I can't do this again, or this mm. is so terrible. Is mm. So I, th- I think, yeah, I don't think you could separate them. Now you can't separate them, but you can have a boom without a bust, as it were. You can kind of potentially, you can go and see Harry Styles. Yeah. But try to maintain a reasonably normal level of functioning the next day. Yeah. So I had a patient that wanted to go out shopping and they wanted to go all day. They were somebody that spent a lot of time in bed. And what we talked about was the next day, their normal response would be to stay in bed all day. So Mm. what we agreed to, what they committed to was just getting out of bed and opening a curtain so they didn't have to get dressed they didn't have to do anything but they just had to change their normal response to a situation where they that they thought they'd be in so they thought they'd be in bed all day their normal after an activity day would be in bed all day curtains closed not getting dressed not getting changed food box their room so the compromise they made or the commitment they made to themselves was i'm going to open my curtains and sit up That's for enough. five minutes That's so enough. nothing big but just changing what their normal response would be in a small way yeah a small victory yeah a small victory over the bust. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. I personally always feel that the bust is worse in a way because during the boom, as you said, Julia, you're kind of on a bit of a high. You're doing some of the things that you like to do. And during the bust, actually, you, you're often in your room. Patients feel a bit miserable, quite unhappy. They want to be with friends often. And, and you know, they're not active. And, and so good. they're not using their bodies. They're not using their muscles. And they feel like they're being punished. Mm. But, you know, if I try and have fun or try and do normal things or do the things my friends are doing, I'm punished for it rather than just being able to get on with life. And, you know, being punished is a really horrible experience. But I think it comes back again to what that individual values. Yeah. So it's very hard to say whether boom or bust is better or worse, because I'm sure it will be a very individual, because for some individuals, the high of what they can do in the boom time will be greater than the down of the bust and for others it will be yeah the other way around and so it's in a way trying to to help them learn themselves the best way to manage their yeah. lifestyles and i think i think i really like what julia said about just changing your response to when pain is in that that's what it's about really it's about changing the way that you respond to a pain flare or, or, or a bust moment so that sort of leads us on to at what point would you stop the therapy for any particular child i mean we can talk about stopping it maybe for good reasons and for reasons of almost failure. Yeah. yeah. So I think we sometimes, I think physio is one place where if I've got that rapport with them, but they're still not really engaging or they're not really able to, and there's a clear barrier that maybe they're still really big fear points and they're just not in a position where they can tackle that with doing it with me or anxiety is at a point where they just can't work through that with me at that moment. I might say, actually, physio I, I'm here to help you but I just don't think now is quite the right moment and I might say spend some more time with Conrad or spend some more time with Anne-Marie and and almost patients that can see that and I think they know themselves that actually my input's just not being beneficial at that moment for whatever reason or they've got loads better and their pain's much better and we can say actually you're 90% doing what you want to do you don't need me anymore and would you still do that if you 
you know, functionally they're better, but you know that they're still deconditioned. Yeah, because like we said earlier, it's all about it's functional rehabilitation. So it's getting them back to their functional things they want to do. And what you'll find is when someone's more functional, they're going out shopping, they're going to school, their stamina and their fitness will just increase as they go along as they're doing things. If I waited to see everyone until their muscle strength was five out of five, they could do a perfect squat, they could do a perfect, you know, 10 minute run. I would probably be seeing people forever because it's actually about getting them back to being functional, doing the functional things they want. And not every teenager wants to be super fit, super strong. They just want the fitness or the level of stamina, do their functional activity, go out shopping with their friends. So if they achieve that goal, for me, they've achieved their goal. They've got what they wanted. That would be at the point where I say you're doing what you want to do. I think our physios would very much, as much as the functional thing, they do sort of believe in the the sense of you can be functionally strong, but if you've still got areas that are significantly weak, Mm then, you know, the compensation might not be quite what it should be. And you, that's maybe one of the drivers while you're still experiencing a lot of pain or still experiencing difficulty in getting fully functioning, yeah. functioning mobile. But in essence, there's yeah. not too much difference. I think from my experience, if you do a, an assessment, I don't think you ever get a true picture of that patient, in, especially in your first session or second session. Towards the end, you might do. But I don't think when we've done... I do do an assessment. So I do do a, a physio assessment with people at some point. But I still don't believe you get a true picture of actually their true muscle strength or their true ability to do something. And you see that all the time because you'll say you'll test some muscle strength and they oh, they really struggle, yet they stand up and they walk out. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, obviously. So it's kind that. of like yeah. what I don't. And there's a lot of the you know the fear avoidance, yeah. isn't there? So, yeah. you know, you, you can sit and watch a patient who will tell you they can't move anything if they're concentrating on it or if someone goes near them but yeah. yet when you just let them be themselves yeah. there's a disproportionate yeah do you feel that some of the treatment can be done in groups i think it's maintaining that afterwards isn't it i think that's the that's biggest the absolute thing yeah. because everyone everyone i mean that's partly why program assessors they're doing something every day aren't they so from a physio point of view if you go for a physio program where you go to an exercise class twice a day and you're doing strengthening stuff there's going to be a strength gain yeah. But it's whether they can have they done a behaviour change to then maintain that afterwards. No, absolutely. Because there has to be behaviour change, doesn't it? Ultimately, there's got to be a yeah. Well, uh, yeah. No, I mean, if or, you... or response to your pain. You know, your relationship with your pain has to change. And if you haven't had the opportunity to have a better relationship with it, then you're always going to have the same response to your yeah to your pain. We've been talking about lots of things in between, Anne Marie. But what's it like for you? When do you think is a good time to let patients go? It's really similar. So it's about when they're able to achieve most of the goals that they've set. And it might be that it's not perfect sleep, it's not perfect school return, but they've got the facility, they've got the understanding of what to do in order. So that really, I feel like we're sort of a bit like sheepdogs. We've sort of, I've got a bit of a dog analogy going on today. (laughs) We're a bit like sheepdogs, sort of helping people to see which direction they need to go in. And we'll corral you for a while, but after a while, you need to be able to do that for yourself. You know, and it's about being able to adapt those strategies of, of what works for you to be able to do a particular daily living activity, sleep, school, etc. So you can you can engage it with yourself. You know, if you're waiting for someone to be pain free, well, that's just not that's not a feasible way of doing it. I think people do get a bit stuck with us sometimes, and they they can find saying goodbye really difficult. And I think that's something as, as a team we would talk about how we're going to approach that as a team and what's the way to to let someone sort of fly away, to let them go free. Some people can't wait to see the back of us, but most people, they've learned, you know, we build on trust and they feel 
very safe, often feel very safe with us and then can find it a little bit scary to step out into the world without us. Because they've gone from a place where they've got very little function, they're in bed all day or they're not attending school to potentially going to school for a couple of hours a day, meeting friends once a week. So, and we've helped them on that journey because that gives them a huge confidence boost, doesn't it? It's almost letting go of that's quite difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And in the, in the first podcast with Alison Bliss, we talked about complex patients. Mm. And we talked about the barbecue being on fire, pain. Yeah. But actually, it's not just a barbecue, it's the garden. It's sometimes the house is on fire. And that was a, a everything could be on fire. Yeah. So, and that was a metaphor for really kind of pain is often just one part of young people's lives that is just not going right and they might have mental health issues they might have problems in the family they might have problems at school they might be autistic etc so how do you deal with that kind of how do we deal with those really complex patients where pain is just a small part of the bigger picture i don't think pain often is just a singular thing in someone's lives most people, when they've been in pain and they've, by the time they've got to us, they've been in pain for possibly two, three years. And inevitably, if you're in pain, that's stopping you from being functional, which is why you come to see us. It's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your socialisation. It's going to affect your ability to function in, in a teenagery way. And so I don't think many people just come with pain and no other issues. So that idea of what's complex and what's not, I think, is a is a really interesting conversation maybe for another day. There are sometimes children whose lives are so complex because of social issues, family issues, um, mental health issues, which are really need CAMS involvement. They really need to have family work. And sometimes pain is the focus because it's the easiest thing to look at. And sometimes we have to say, we really want to help you with managing your pain, but actually that's not the right place for us to be focusing our attention. You actually need to be working maybe with another team. You might have an eating disorder, for example. And we're not an eating disorder service, but we do see children with eating disorders. And it might be that that needs to be managed so that we can actually then come in later. So sometimes we have to explain that we do want to work with you, but this is not the right time. And in fact, if you go in at the wrong time, you can almost sabotage your own work with that person and it's, it's helping them understand that this isn't another, yet another rejection. This is about timing and about what, the, what else is on fire in your life. And would you follow people up then? Yeah. 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 So sometimes we'll say, but shall, we, shall we have a conversation again in three months' time, six months' time? Or do you want to contact us? Or we'll follow you up. So yes, we would nearly always will follow those patients up. I think also there are some patients where some of our input might be valuable but it might just be that simple few sessions of pain education because you're right there are lots of other complexities that we can't manage at the moment they do need other services but actually having a little bit of pain understanding maybe even for parents we could deliver that in a contained form to parents and if a child is ready to listen just so that parents when they are maybe having a a moment of being overwhelmed or a meltdown because of pain that parents have a, a way of Supporting them through that, maybe. Yeah, I think you know, a, a typical example of that would be somebody who's on the autistic spectrum and they have sensory processing difficulties. And we all know that pain is a sensory output, it's a sensory process. And sometimes children who are on the autistic spectrum will be overwhelmed in a busy environment such as a school and they come home and say they have pain. And 
the pain is really about that overwhelming burnout at the end of a day. And that crossover is very high. So helping people understand why that crossover is there. Sometimes we've done that. We'll spend maybe three sessions with the parent or with the child as well, if it's appropriate to say, this is what's happening. Because I think and, if you can change a parent's response, because they might be like, well, I've given cowpaw and that doesn't work. So how else can I manage this pain? Yeah. And if they realise actually it's a byproduct of the sensory process, then the way they respond to it can in turn sometimes yeah, lower that pain response. Yeah. Okay. Look, guys, it's been incredible conversation thank you both we just want to leave you with one final question julia maybe you first what do you enjoy about working in pain management the team we've got a fantastic team our environment down here is a really lovely environment and i love working with patients and when you have a patient that you've seen for a period of time and then they are back to doing some of the things that i say back we talked about not going back but you know they've gone shopping with their friends or they've done a dance show they wanted to do or just simply completed a day of normal adolescent teenager would do what makes you smile in the day when you work with these patients seeing their little wins their little successes when they come in and they are really really pleased to share with you something they're really proud of that they've done and they've achieved that makes it all worthwhile someone that's been on a really tough journey that has like a little glimmer of change that they're really proud to tell you about so make a pitch here for physios to start working in pain management. The team here is absolutely fantastic. So if you ever wanted to come and work in the Oxford Centre pain, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's challenging. <laughs> it's a, a challenging role, but every day is different. Every patient is different and you never quite, so they all have pain, but it's so different for everybody. It really works on your problem solving. If you're a problem solver and you like to think of, different ways of getting to a solution and problem solving chronic pain is a really lovely job to work in i totally agree with that and i'd just say that it's not just oxford that needs people <laughs> to be infused by physiotherapists so I'll, I'll just put it out there that the whole country does so that would be great what about you what, what makes you enjoy pain management i concur with julia actually i i feel very blessed we have a, an amazing team and we can have really tough days and you can be working with people when you're dealing with a lot of distress and people's fears but i, I very rarely go home without having had a lot of smiles in the day so the team is fantastic i love the challenge of going to see a patient and although i've got my toolbox of understanding chronic pain I don't necessarily know what I'm going to be doing in a particular session in a particular time it's about working out where we're going in that moment and I think that we're quite successful I I, I feel really proud of the amount of children and young people and their families that have felt hopeless and have felt absolutely beaten by pain and actually can see that they are able to manage it themselves and you know I had I know one patient just as an example he had headaches, which was stopping him from doing everything. He was in bed for a year, having been a very successful sports person and doing well in school. And he just couldn't see a way out. And we worked together for two years and he had gone on to finish his schooling. He completed a degree and he's gone on to have a really lovely career. And he emailed me the other day and he just said, I still have headaches, but I can manage them and I know what to do. So if I notice that I'm feeling distressed, and I'm getting a headache, I know how to manage it for me. And it was our team and it was our intervention that allowed this young person to have a life. And that's, that is just a joy. Well, that's a wonderful story to end on. For me, it's been a pleasure to meet you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's thank been really lovely. Yeah, thanks. 
So, Glyn, here we are at the end of the interview. What did you make of it? Well, I thought that was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. You can tell the three of you work incredibly well together and you all know each other extremely well. But I just like the real-worldness of that conversation. I really felt like I was sitting there listening to two people with an awful lot of experience and awful lot of knowledge who have done this job for an awfully long time and have so much sort of experience to pass on to us and to everyone who's out there listening. So um, it was very good. Really I enjoyed really, it. I really enjoyed seeing them talking about a subject that they love and talking about something that they do on a daily basis and really enjoy doing. It's, it, that's obvious. That's obvious. And it's obvious to me as a colleague, both Anne-Marie and Julia, that they really come in and they like working with the team, they like working with the patients. And that's really how many people can actually say that they enjoy working. And I think I mentioned during the podcast that a lot of pain management is is about the alchemy of the teams that work together. And I think that came across very strongly. You know, it's not different what we all do on a very macroscopic scale. You know, we're all doing the same thing. We We have the same evidence and we use it in the same similar sorts of ways but it's those little things isn't it it's mm-hmm. the little ways of delivering that it's the little ways of the interactions between the teams and how that comes across as the patients that makes such a difference and for me alchemy is not about everybody being the same actually the secret for me the secret to good team working for me lies in having lots of different personalities so that different patients can relate to different characters working together and appreciating each other and appreciating the the specific contributions that different members of the team can give. And if you can get that right, somehow it, you know, the whole becomes more than the sum of parts. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that will be a sort of topic that we revisit in podcasts as we go along through this series. Well, we've come to the end of this two-parter. And we are aware of the fact that we haven't covered everything. We haven't covered everything about the role of physiotherapy or the role of occupational therapy. But I think this has been a very good introduction to OT and PT in pain management. If you have any questions or any comments, then please let us know and email us on whatapainpodcast at gmail.com. So anyway, till next time, Conrad, stay well. See you, Glenn.